This is the Return to Order Moment with Edwin Benson. Bringing you insights, analysis, and information for a culture in crisis. Removing God from education is as absurd as removing oxygen from the air. In 1962, the Supreme Court removed prayer from public education in the United States. The result has been disastrous. Ever since that day, the courts have acted as though school students need to be protected from God. This attitude is both dangerous and ironic. The danger should be obvious. Without God's protection, we are open to every type of evil. This podcast will examine two ways in which that evil has become manifest. However, the first essay deals with the irony of education without God. That irony is found in the fact that education, as we know it, was designed to bring mankind closer to God. Education should be a search for truth, and God is the ultimate truth. In forgetting that, our schools enter a period of decline. Mr. Edward Benson relates that story in his essay, Education Declined When We Stopped Searching for God. Learning is among the most basic human acts. We see this observing the very young. Parents see their babies change dramatically as they learn new skill sets for communication and movement. God endows individuals with the ability to reason. Upon this foundation, people develop their physical appearances, strengths, qualities, interests, and talents. Individual abilities are enhanced when we receive instruction. To facilitate such learning, the Church developed schools during the Middle Ages. Modernity tragically usurped this role by giving it to the state. The disastrous results of that egregious error are the basis of this essay. Modern Western culture has turned education into a secular endeavor. Even Catholic schools have adopted curricula that enshrine the secular worldview taught at most public schools. Religion is compartmentalized and shunted off to the side. In contrast, religion formed the core of medieval education. Medieval scholars searched for insights into nature as a means of obtaining a greater knowledge of God. By understanding creation better, we come to know the Creator. Discovering how a seed obliterates itself to become a plant provides insight and spiritual analogies into how dying to self can be fruitful. Charting the movements of stars and planets helps humans know of God's infinite nature and the order of the universe. Indeed, Catholicism always depended upon the efforts of educated and literate leaders. They had the task of resolving controversies over doctrine, rooting out heresy, and preserving the work of previous generations. These efforts required great insight, erudition, and discernment. The survival of the Church required the training of future leaders. With the fall of the Roman Empire, the Church was left as the only international organization in Europe. First, monasteries and then cathedrals set up schools to train young clerics. Over time, these schools attracted the sons of local noblemen and merchants searching for a good education. Soon, older priests and monks began to specialize in areas of study. Among these men, the first universities formed. 
to facilitate the creation of new universities, the schools developed academic programs awarding bachelor, master, and doctorate degrees so that scholars could present credentials that were accepted throughout Christendom. By 1300, most major cities, and many minor ones, possessed at least one university. Teaching was the primary purpose of the university. However, some faculty members did original research, thus furthering the understanding of God by plumbing the mysteries of his creation. Therefore, we should not be surprised to see medieval priests and monks making many fundamental scientific discoveries. For example, the German Father Theodoric of Freiburg, circa 1250 to circa 1310, was the first to explain the rainbow correctly. The Italian bishop Theodoric Borgognoni, 1205 to 1298, invented an anesthesia that was in use until the discovery of ether. Scholars likewise studied religious topics. Medieval historian Lynn White Jr. notes, quote, Every major scientist from about 1250 to about 1650, 400 years during which our present scientific movement was taking form, considered himself also a theologian. Leibniz and Newton are notable examples. The importance to science of the religious devotion which these men gave their work cannot be exaggerated, unquote. However, do not expect to find a list of these devoted scientists in most modern science textbooks. Devoted as they are to the fallacy that religion and science are mutually exclusive. Unfortunately, during the Renaissance, Pseudo-Reformation, and Enlightenment, Increasing numbers of well-educated but unwise scholars turned knowledge and reason into gods. The development of empiricism was the foundation of the modern education system. The best way to explain empiricism simply is that it is an I'll-believe-it-when-I-see-it attitude. By this standard, no reality can be expressed outside a physical existence. This is the root of many modern errors, including materialism and utilitarianism. Any truth that does not have a physical basis is either discarded or treated as a relative or subjective concept. In such a world, people who believe in spiritual and religious things that cannot be proven scientifically are labeled sentimental, weak-minded, or delusional. Merriam-Webster defines empiricism as, quote, a theory that all knowledge originates in experience, unquote. Such ideas have their place in science, but they cannot be the basis of all reality. Limited as it was, today empiricism in education is being replaced with a far worse attitude. Empiricists, at least, acknowledge proven facts backed up by physical evidence. Today's so-called scholars, calling themselves postmodernists, have infiltrated the education establishment. They refer to facts as mere constructs, meaning self-constructed concepts that may be true for some people, but not for others.
The postmodern perspective presupposes an anarchical universe that detaches humanity from all moral, philosophical, and scientific moorings. This hellish world of constant contradiction and uncertainty threatens to destroy civilization itself. While many decry postmodernism, their cure would be a return to the world of reason and empiricism. This would be insufficient and ineffective. The only way to save education from disaster is to fight energetically, to return to the standards of the good, the true, and the beautiful, which modernity abandoned. Removing God from the schools creates a vacuum which evil rushes to fill. Over the last 60 years, many evils have entered our educational system. Atheism and anarchy are the hallmarks of many modern schools, which have become little more than warehouses where kids are stored during the day. All too often, critical race theory, radical sexual attitudes, and extreme ideas of pseudo-social justice predominate. Recently, this trend has taken an even more ominous turn, with the establishment of after-school clubs devoted to the service of Satan himself. Their leaders cloak themselves in their anti-religion in the language of the First Amendment of the Constitution. This has been effective because many people do not know the arguments that show the Satanists for the deceivers that they are. Mr. Rex Teodorcio takes on this important topic in his Refuting Nine Lies Used to Push After-School Satan Clubs. Quote, Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels battled against the dragon. The dragon and its angels fought back, but they did not prevail, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. See the Apocalypse, chapter 12, verses 7 to 8. Does the devil exist? Yes, he does. So much so that he is targeting children in schools with after-school Satan clubs that are forming across the country. They are sponsored by the Satanic Temple. The program's leaders speak with the cunning of a serpent and have formulated sophistic lies to deceive parents and students. Therefore, these rebuttals will help students and parents respond to the most common lies used to promote after-school Satan clubs. Lie number one. Satan is just a concept. The greatest trick the devil plays is to make men believe he doesn't exist. He advances more freely that way. However, talk of spirits is found throughout history. Primitive people recognize this phenomenon. In addition, past civilizations in Egypt, Greece, and ancient Rome record cases of people possessed by spirits. More than 2,000 years of Christian tradition attests to the existence of the devil. Lie number two. The Satanic Temple is non-theistic. Its brand of Satanism does not worship the devil. The Satanic Temple claims to be non-theistic, and its members say they neither believe in the supernatural nor worship the devil. However, true to the spirit of the father of lies, Satanists will say one thing but believe or do another. 
What Satanists once did in private, they now do in the open. The public has witnessed some of their chilling rituals and hideous statues and figures. Examples of this worship from 2021 include a Satanist ritual performed at the Peace Cross in Bladensburg, Maryland. They knelt, worshipped, and hailed their master, the devil. The after-school Satan Club at Carmel High School in Carmel, Indiana, posted several memes hailing the devil. The Satanic Temple installed a baby Bahamut statue for worship next to a traditional Christmas scene at the Illinois State Capitol and invoked the devil publicly. Lie number three. The after-school Satan Club is not interested in converting children to Satanism. The Satanic Temple also claims that children who tend will not be proselytized. However, everything on its website promotes a set of presumed values that embodies the organization's beliefs. Proselytism can come in different forms. The most alarming ruse is to install a set of values on unsuspecting children through games and activities in line with satanic principles, which uproot and destroy Christian values. Lie number four. Children will not be forced to go. By claiming that the program is optional, the satanic temple hopes to put parents at ease. Since no one is coerced, Satanists argue that parents should not complain, but instead show tolerance toward those who choose to send their children to the Satan Club. This is also a fallacy. It makes as much sense as installing a water fountain in school that puts out toxic water or making Tide Pods available for students who choose to ingest them. Adults must protect children from evil, not expose them to danger. Having a program in school where Satan is invoked, even as an option, exposes every child, directly or indirectly, to incalculable spiritual risks. Lie number five. After-school Satan clubs are safe places for the marginalized. A room where children are encouraged to worship the devil can never be a safe place. Marginalized people often suffer from exposure to toxic elements or relationships. No space is more harmful than one where the role model is the devil, who is frequently associated with death, revolt, aggression, and despair. A satanic club will not provide a wholesome family environment that the marginalized child needs to heal. The school's resources are better served by promoting family-friendly programs. Lie number six. After-school Satan clubs do not promote evil. Another claim of the Satanic Temple is that the after-school Satan clubs do not promote evil, but only offer activities in line with its tenets. This is deceptive, because one tenet of the Satanic Temple is individual sovereignty, which corresponds to the basic Satanist idea, you are your own god. Indeed, Individual sovereignty means that there is no authority higher than the individual. 
This belief negates God's authority and the Ten Commandments. It denies natural law written on the hearts of all men that gives everyone a sense of morality and the ability to discern right from wrong. Ultimately, to deny the validity of God's laws is to promote all sins and crimes. Lie number seven. An after-school Satan club is harmless fun. Nothing about the occult is harmless. Well-known exorcists, like Rome's father Gabriel Amroth, all attest how easily occult-based games can lead to the diabolical possession of children. There are real dangers in opening the door to the occult, which is not easily closed. When children willingly expose themselves to the occult or people associated with it, their souls are harmed. An example of the Satanic Temple's outreach to children is a satanic coloring book that portrays images of the devil, a horned beast, skulls, and an image of a child performing a summoning spell over a pentagram. Here is a list of harmless rituals approved by the Satanic Temple. Unbaptism, where participants renounce the true faith. Destruction ritual, where participants destroy an object they own that symbolizes a source of pain in their lives, which exorcists claim can mean something like a crucifix or a Bible. Defiance ritual, where a person pledges to challenge the status quo and Black Mass, which celebrates blasphemy, sacrilege, attacks God, and the true Catholic Mass. Lie number eight. Satan has a right to have a club. Wrong. Satan has no rights because evil has no rights. Not everything should be allowed in schools. It would be objectionable, for example, if there were an after-school club for neo-Nazis, clubs for student drug dealers or pro-terrorist sympathizers would likewise be unacceptable. Lie number nine. Satan should be given equal access. Schools exist to educate children, not to serve as a platform for the supposed rights of others. Children naturally possess innocence. Parents entrust their children to the care of the school for their educational, cultural, and moral formation. Programs that preserve the innocence of children should be promoted, Programs that scandalize children should be excluded. Satan is the father of lies, a murderer from the beginning, and a destroyer of innocence. He represents the opposite of everything children need to preserve their innocence and form their character. They need an environment that fosters virtue, morality, obedience, truth, goodness, and beauty. Schools should never be a place that promotes sin, immorality, revolt, blasphemy, evil, and the horrendous. The devil has no place in school. Not now, and not in the future. Of all evils, 
Sexual temptation is one of the most powerful because it is easily confused with a natural imperative to perpetuate the species. Through the generations, parents have protected their children's innocence of such matters as long as possible to ward off the evils that come from sexual sin practiced by the very young. In modern schools, so-called sex educators have perfected the process of destroying that innocence. That opened the door to many types of immorality that besiege our children's immortal souls. Mr. Edwin Benson discussed one aspect of this process in his essay, How LGBT Activists Unerase History to Fit Their Agenda. Quote, I think somehow this idea of presenting particularly younger students with someone's idea of an alternative family is scary to a lot of parents because they don't know necessarily how to explain it. Unquote. The source of this quotation is Kathleen Barker, the program director for an organization called History Unerased. She is discussing a book called And Tango Makes Three. First published in 2005, Tango is the story of two male penguins who raise a chick together. A summary of this book, intended for students in the first and second grade, appears on a DePaul University website. Quote, And Tango Makes Three depicts the true life of Roy and Silo, two chin-strap penguins who reside at the Central Park Zoo. One day, Mr. Gramsci, their keeper, notices the penguins' attempts at hatching a rock. Why not just hatch an egg? Because both Roy and Silo are male. Mr. Gramsci then provides them with a fertile egg and the chance to become a family. When the egg hatches, they name the chick Tango because it takes two to make a tango. Unquote. The story obviously lends itself to serving an agenda. It neglects to say that the male penguins often help incubate chicks. The two penguins mentioned had no particular attachment to one another. They both went on to father chicks with penguins of the opposite sex. Parents are uncomfortable with the book because they recognize the book as propaganda designed to lure their children into accepting homosexual vice as normal. Indeed, Miss Barker warmly endorses Tango because making homosexual vice appear normal is what history unerased is all about. The organization provides resources and teacher staff development to teach so-called LGBTQ inclusive history, according to a recent article in Education Week. The article explains why the Education Week crew sees history unerased's work as necessary. Quote, there can be a number of reasons for the hesitation specifically to teach about things like LGBTQ history and major court cases tied to LGBTQ identities, experts said. Teachers fear parental pushback. They face a dearth of curriculum options. And even when there are resources available, they may not know what to look for. They have not received training on the subject, 
or they simply do not want to get something wrong. Unquote. Like Miss Barker, Education Week ignores any moral dimension, which it dismisses as parental pushback. The progressive education establishment's goal is not morals, but making sure that the so-called LGBTQ youth feel safe and comfortable. History Unerased makes no secret of its mission. Its slogan sums it up succinctly. Putting LGBTQ history in its right place, the classroom. The organization's homepage spells out the myths that provide the rationale behind their work. Quote, People who we label and understand today as LGBTQ have always existed in every part of humanity. But the absence of these identities in our nation's classrooms means that students never learn the stories of people and events that were critical to the founding and shaping of the United States. Erasing this history teaches students that LGBTQ people never existed. Unquote. The primary tools for communicating history unerased's message are a curriculum titled intersections and connections, and short YouTube videos. All the videos have one thing in common, the message that homosexuals were heroes. They were the inclusive people, even as any message that ran counter to their narrative was either reviled or excluded. So far, the impact of history unerased appears to be limited to the Northeast. The organization provides a map which shows the number of schools in each state that uses its materials. New York is by far the greater user, with 1,424 schools. The tally drops quickly, with Maryland boasting 66, Massachusetts 34, and 11 in Illinois. All the other states are in single digits, and even far-left California has only one. There were two curious features within History Unerased's program. First, it focuses on emotions rather than facts. The second is that its material only reports on contemporary or the recent past. History Unerased erases nothing truly historical. No matter what rhetoric the people at History Unerased use, they are not interested in history. They do not want to educate, but indoctrinate. They want to convince America's children that homosexual vice is normal, desirable, and even heroic. The use of facts gets in the way of such conclusions— since the lives of all who give in to unbridled passions usually ends in misery. Emotional appeals are much more effective. Portraying someone as oppressed provokes sympathy and fits into the Marxist class struggle narratives that undermine Western civilization. The testimony of history also gets in the way of such a perspective. History relates how great figures overcame their passions and accomplished great deeds that are worthy of memory. So-called postmodern history 
presents a jumble of disconnected events where people are deprived of free will and agency, thus justifying every vice and passion. This concludes, removing God from education is as absurd as removing oxygen from the air. Thank you so much for listening. Return to Order, of which this podcast is only a part, strives to be a source of light in a dark and disordered world. Your prayers are appreciated. If you have enjoyed this podcast, we ask you to subscribe and give us a five-star rating with the service through which you are listening to it. Increased subscriptions and high ratings mean that more people will be directed to the Return to Order moment when searching for new podcasts. So by rating us, you can help Return to Order be more effective. In addition, subscribers gain access to all the previous episodes of the Return to Order moment. We would also like to recommend the book, which spells out the motivations behind our work. Mr. John Horvath's book, Return to Order, is available as a free download through our website, www.returntoorder.org, or in printed and recorded form through our bookstore. All rights are reserved. Copyright 2022 by the American Society for the Defense of Tradition, Family, and Property, TFP.